Let's pray. Our Father, we approach your presence through Jesus Christ, by whom we have access into the very throne room of Almighty God. We declare you are worthy of all of our praise, all of our honor, all of our thanksgiving, all of our adoration. And I pray that you would show yourself to us and teach us and instruct us this day that we might draw near to you and in drawing near to you, finding you drawing near to us in a beautiful relationship that we have with you. So we open our hearts to you now and to your word to be instructed In Christ's name we pray, amen. When I say the word worship, what comes to your mind? It could be uh, the music portion of the service that we just went through. It, It could be a personal devotion that you have with God, just a very special time with Him. It could be Muslims in a mosque at prayer time all gathered and prostrate in prayer. It may be a somber, traditional kind of service, or maybe as we will celebrate, Holy Communion. It may be a sense of the grandeur of God and being overwhelmed by that in a mountain scene. It could be people in a Hindu temple or in a synagogue. It may be even the veneration of a sports figure or a celebrity. Worship can mean different things to different people, but it's something that God has deemed extremely important and critical to our relationship with Him. And for all that there is... uh, about worship. There's a lot of confusion about worship. Uh, For all of that there is, there's a lot of misunderstanding. What really is worship and what does it look like in our lives? And we're going to take the next several weeks and we're going to be delving into and examining what worship is and how we worship and what is suitable worship uh, to God. And you may find in this time, you may be surprised at something that that you didn't understand about worship, or maybe it's quite different than what you imagined it would be. And so we want to start a journey today. I, I said to our, our prayer people before the service, I, I, feel like, I feel like I'm in the middle of an ocean, and it's so vast and so wide, and I'm, I'm struggling to try and pull together some of these strands for us. Uh, to help us understand something about what worship is and how we worship appropriately. I first want to say this, that we were created for worship. You are created to worship God. God created you with a built-in impulse to worship, to venerate, to honor, uh, to rely upon. You and I as human beings have been hardwired to worship. We are just given to worship. It's an innate part of our makeup. And so it's natural for us to want to worship. 
Now, whether we worship the right things or, or, or in the right way, that's something else. But every human being is hardwired to worship. And it's God's purpose for us to worship him. In fact, we are created in his image. It says in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, it says that God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness so they may rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God created us in his own image. And when, when you look at us, we reflect more of the glory of God and, and of what he, his purpose is and who he is than, than the, uh, the heavens and the stars and all those wonderful and awe-inspiring things. More than the angels. The angels weren't created in the image and likeness of God. But he created us in that. That we might have a relationship with him. A mutual relationship. Uh, one, of, one of love. Uh, that he calls us into that relationship. Close and intimate with him. And our first parents, uh, when God created them, placed them in a garden in a beautiful place that, that met all of their needs. But God was with them and he walked with them and he talked with them. He created them to be in relationship, in, in a relationship of worship with him. To respond to him, to value him and obey him and delight in him and reflect him in the world as image bearers. That's what he's given for us. He's created us for his glory. In, in, uh, in Isaiah uh, 43, we read this, talking about uh, the, the uh, captives that had been taken away into Babylon. He said, I'll say, I'll say to the north, God's, give them up and to the south, do not hold them back. And bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Bring back my people. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God created us to reflect his glory and to glorify him and to praise him and to love him and to adore him. That's why he created us. God made us for that glory. But the problem was that worship can be misplaced. Worship can be misplaced. And what happened was a, a terrible thing. God placed this, this couple in the garden and they had this uh, unbridled relationship with him where they were just so, so together, so, so uh, wonderfully fit uh, and in relationship with each other. And that was challenged. They worshipped God. They loved God. But something terrible happened. A serpent began to put doubt in their mind and said, did God really say you can't do this, uh, eat of this fruit? Because he's holding out on you. He, you. You don't need to follow God. You don't need to do what God wants. You can do your own thing. You can be your own God. And terribly, uh, the, the terrible mistake that was made and the rebellion against God was that that first couple defied him, disobeyed him. They decided that they could better run things than God. And they, 
they uh, fell to that temptation and it broke that relationship. And now they began to make gods of other things. They, they made gods of themselves. They made gods of images and all kinds. And, and when God wanted us to know what he wanted in that relationship in the uh, Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, uh, he says this, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Or instead of me. I will be your sole God. The relationship we have will be exclusive. And you'll worship me and me alone. And he goes on to say, You'll not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For the Lord your God... For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But he goes on to say, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. It was an exclusive relationship. There was to be only one God, and our allegiance would be to that one God. But we saw how that broke down, and now people began to make idols and... and, uh, uh, have other gods that would take the place of the, of the Lord their God. And, and idolatry is anything uh, that lays claim to the loyalty in your life that belongs to God alone. It's anything that we rely on for provision or protection or for ultimate security that is other than God. It can be ourselves, it can be people, it can be education, it can be ability and fame and money. Anything that we rely on, anything that we cling to and love more than God becomes an idol to us. And that's misplaced worship. And and God speaks to this through the Apostle Paul in uh, Romans chapter 1. He says this, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who, here's what they do, they suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood by what has been made. And the result is this, so that people are without excuse. Although they knew God, he he said, I showed them something of myself. They can look at creation and they can understand and see something of who I am. The wisdom and the power and and the order and the beauty uh, of what I have. That's all on display for them. But but instead of accepting that and, and, and seeking him, that although they knew God, they knew something about God, they neither glorified Him as God, neither did they give thanks, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fooled and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. They traded God in. They made their own gods. They fashioned them with their own hands. They, they made... Uh, objects of worship that would take the place of God. Even though that they knew there was something more and they knew you can't fashion and make something that you bow down to. That's, it's ridiculous when you think about it. But that's what people did. They chose not to worship God. They chose rather to worship uh, objects that they had created or themselves or people or whatever else it was. 
But I want you to know, in spite of that, God is seeking worshipers. God is seeking worshipers. God has always been seeking worshipers. It's a very interesting story in John chapter 4, where Jesus and his disciples are going through Samaria, and the disciples go to get something in town to eat, and he's sitting out by a well, and this woman comes in the midday when people just don't go and get water in the heat of the day. And Jesus says to this woman, Give me a drink, please. And she's surprised. She said, you are a Jew and you're talking to me, a, a Samaritan. They didn't have, they were not friendly terms. And not only that, you wouldn't normally have a man speaking with a woman or making a request of a woman, a strange woman that he didn't know. And she's kind of taken aback that, that he would do that. And, and uh, Jesus said, you know, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd ask me and I'd give you living water and you'd never thirst again. And she says, sir, I want some of that. And Jesus said, well, go call your husband. Tell him to come here. And she said, well, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, well, well played. You don't have a husband. You've had five, and the guy you're living with now is not your husband. Ouch. Um, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. I perceive you're an intellect, an intellectual, to come with that conclusion. And and he, he says, you know, she starts to get into this talk on worship. You know, you Jews, you worship there, and, and we Samaritans, we worship here, and you do it this way, and we do it, you do it there, and we do it here, and, and Jesus said, look, the time is coming when it's not, it's not going to be, and it has already arrived, when it's not where you worship, it's not the right place. And he says this in John 4, he said, the time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. He says, there's, uh, God is seeking worshipers. God is reaching out to his creation and seeking people who will worship him, who will bow before him, who would acknowledge him in his greatness. And, and, and the heart's, God's heart's desire is that people would worship him. His creation would worship him in an appropriate way. And Jesus said he came to seek and to save that which was lost. The plan of God was to turn rebels into worshipers, to bring them into a relationship with him. Now, I need to ask you a question. Are you alienated from God? Have you rejected him? Are you going your own way without regard for God? God is seeking you. He wants you to become a worshiper. He wants you to enter into a relationship with him. He wants to do some wonderful things in your life to forgive you of your sins. And he wants to fill your life with his goodness and have you find your ultimate joy and satisfaction in him. But there's an estranged creation uh, that has refused to bow down before him. May I tell you, that the task of the church is to reach out to the world to help people who are rebels become worshipers, uh, just as we are as well. Well, he, God is seeking worshipers, and I, and I just want to make one last point here, and that is this. Worship is our final destination. It's our final destiny. What we were created for was worship. And we started this world in a, in a garden, in a paradise, and that was destroyed. And, and for years and years, we've seen the ravages of rebellion against God and sin against God. And, and, but God's plan was, ultimately, that uh, 
he would bring us into a new heaven and a new earth. We went from a garden, we go into a city, a walled city, the new Jerusalem and a new heaven and a new earth. And the end of the story, the culmination of everything, is that ultimately we will be with God 24-7. We will be with Him all the time. And and there will be unceasing worship. And we'll find our deepest fulfillment, our deepest joy in Him. And in worshiping Him, and relating with Him, and being with Him. And we're preparing for that now. We're preparing our hearts. Uh, we're, We're practicing for what we will do in all of eternity and Jesus is calling people to come to be part of that throng of worshipers and together uh, we will worship him for all of eternity and it will be the most exhilarating most satisfying thrilling thing that you can do is to be in the place that God has prepared for us and in his presence and worshiping him so speaking of all that I want to try and come up with a definition of worship that will help us think about what worship is. So worship defined. Um, I, I'm going to give you just a, a definition that I, uh, I made up. Uh, and uh, let's try and walk through this a little bit. So here's the definition. Worship is the proper and total response of all moral beings to the triune God as he reveals himself and in such a way that God would be honored, valued, and treasured as being of supreme worth. Let me just, just walk through this a, a, a little bit with you. Worship is a response to God, the revelation of God. It's, it's the response of all moral beings. That means it's beyond us. That means the angels are called also, also to worship him. And you'll see in the scripture that he is worshipped um, by the angels. And the, and the God that we worship is a triune God. He's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so when we worship, we don't just worship God the Father. We worship a triune God. And, and our desire is uh, to worship him in a way that is suitable, that he calls for, and in, in such a way that he is valued and treasured as being of supreme worth. He's worthy of our worship. Now, uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism was a method that was using for, t- uh, for teaching. And the first question, it goes on a question-answer basis. And the, and the question is, what is the chief end of man? Uh, what is the chief end of man? What, what, is, what is the ultimate purpose of humankind? Why do we exist? Why are we here? What are we supposed to be doing? What is the big thing that makes sense out of everything? Well, the Sh- Westminster Shorter Catechism says this. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forevermore. Did you get that? It it is to glorify God. It's to praise God. It's to honor God. It's to reflect His goodness. It's it's to show His greatness and, and, and worship Him for that. And did you see the last part? And to enjoy Him forevermore. See, you may have thoughts about worship that 
are, are really contrary to, the, you know, worship is boring. Worship is, oh my, how long is it going to last? It's, see, you don't understand because you don't understand who God is. You don't understand what it is to be in his presence. You don't understand what it is to know who he is. And, and, and to do so and to realize that he has nothing but great plans for us. And, and anything that has been the most enjoyable thing that you can think of in your life, that has happened in your life, that you've enjoyed, that has been the most exhilarating thing, will be like zero compared to being in his presence. So we see we don't get that because we don't know really who he is. We don't know what it's like to be in his presence. And to enjoy him, to revel in that relationship, to, to, to just understand his worthiness, it will be beyond what anything that you can imagine. Uh, and I think the wonderful thing is God wants us to enjoy him and enjoy that relationship. And we'll find our greatest fulfillment and joy and delight in a relationship with him. That's worship. That's our highest calling. That's our greatest joy. That's the most exquisite delight that we can have. To know God and to worship Him and to enjoy Him. John Piper said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. He wants you to find your greatest delight and satisfaction in Him. Well, worship described. I want to try and describe this a little bit as we close off here this morning. First, uh, if I describe worship, I would say first... It's a response. It's responsive to the revelation of the worthiness of the triune God. Worship is responding to God as he reveals himself to us. Therefore, we need to know who God is. We need to know who he is. We need to know how he shows himself to us. Now, certainly we see something about God in nature, but that falls so far short of of exploring and, and, and plumbing the depths of who he is. He reveals himself in Scripture. And when we see him revealed in Scripture, uh, we see something of the greatness of his power, of his majesty, of his wisdom, of his love, of his justice, of the perfections of who he is. Uh, we see his acts in creation. We see his acts in redeeming us and saving us and all of those things. And we... we Come to, we try and come to grips to grasp the enormity of who he is and the wonder of who he is and to respond appropriately to that, that, that uh, it, with awe and gratitude and praise and dedication and obedience and faith and trust. Worship is our response to understanding who God is and as he reveals himself to us. We're... We have the, the curtain pulled back for us a little bit in the final book of the Bible, the Revelation. And in there, there's a, there's a picture of worship in heaven, and it's, it's quite astounding. And, and there is weeping because there's no one found who's worthy to open the scrolls. Uh, that will unleash the end of time. There's no one worthy, and, and it says, well, wait, 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 there's somebody who's worthy. And it's a lion who's a lamb that looks like he's been slaughtered. And, and he's sitting on a throne beside the Father. It's Jesus Christ. 
And, and they said, don't, don't worry, there's somebody who has the authority, who has the right to open that, to unleash the end of the age, to bring in the culmination of human history. And that's Jesus Christ. And, and this elicits from all of heaven uh, praise and honor. And, and, and now you've got the highest angelic beings And you've got tens of millions of angels surrounding the scene. And they sing. And here's what they sing in Revelation chapter 5. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And they all fall before him in worship. It's, It's an incredible scene. What happens there? The lamb is worthy. He's been slain, but he's, he, he's come back to life. He has power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And they all fall down and worship him. It calls for response. The revelation of, of who God is in the Trinity reveals to us something that we just can't keep ourselves from praising him. But to do this, you need to have the Word of God. You need to have God reveal Himself. We can't just manufacture up things. God has told us who He is. And so we need to be into His Word and to discover who He is and, and, uh, and to respond to that. Worship is responding to the revelation of God to us. Secondly, it involves loving God with the totality of our being. Jesus was asked at one point, what the most important, uh, significant command is. What does God want? If you had to distill it down to one thing, what would that be? And Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Love God with every fiber of your being. Love Him with your mind. Love Him with your, with your body. Love Him with your, with your emotion. Love Him with your acts. Uh, he's called, to, he, he call, calls us to love him, heart, soul, and strength. To be devoted to him. To, that we would desire him. We would desire what he wants for us. Our love for him uh, would be such that uh, it would be this deep affection that there would be nothing that we would treasure more in this world or in this, li- in this life than him. Do you delight to spend time with him? Do you, like, do you, do you delight um, uh, to, to be with Him, to serve Him, to love Him? Have you engaged your mind and your emotion and your will? The Apostle Paul put it this way in, in, in uh, uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He, he just finished 11 chapters of some of the most comprehensive doctrine uh, about our salvation. And he begins... Chapter 12, and he said, Therefore, on the basis of all this stuff, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. 
Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. He's calling us to give the totality of ourselves, our bodies, the, the, the totality of who we are. He wants it to touch our mind and our emotions. Uh, as we were worshiping here, I, I, I found myself tearing up as I'm thinking about God and his greatness and his wonder and his love for me and it touched me emotionally. And as I think about him and I contemplate on him, it stirs my emotion and it stirs me to action to do what he wants me to do, engaging my will in him. It's to love him with all we are because he, this needs to be holy because we are set apart as his people. We're set apart to worship Him and to worship Him alone and, and to be acceptable and pleasing in our worship to Him. And He says, this is your rational, the, the word is rational worship. This is, think about it. This, is, this just makes sense. You see, your body is to glorify God. It's for God's purpose. That means your tongue is given over to Him. That means you... Say, use your tongue to do the kind of things that God would want you to do with your tongue. And your feet, where you go. And your eyes, what you see. And your hands, what you do. And your sex organs, what you do with them. Everything is given over. Your total body is given over to God. It's all dedicated to God. And I want you to notice then that worship is not just external, but it's internal as well. It's not just external. It's internal. God wants something that comes from our heart. In John 24, uh, 4, 24, God is spirit and his worship, worshipers must worship him in the spirit and in truth. He wants us to worship from our heart. He wants us to worship from inside. See, you can go through the motion. You can be here and you can serve. You can sing. You can give money. There are all kinds of things you can do that would come under worship. I went, I went to worship or a worship service. But if your heart is not right, it, it doesn't, it, it's not proper worship. And that's what, uh, that's what Jesus uh, called the religious leaders of his day in Matthew 15. He called them on the carpet. He said, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. He said, you can say what you want to say. You can do what you want to say, do. And, and you think this worship is acceptable. It's not acceptable at all. He said, because their hearts are wrong. So it's, uh, it, it comes from deep within. It's not just external. And then finally, it incorporates all of life. It incorporates all of life. See, it's not just something that we do here and there. It's unceasing. We worship all the time. That's what we're told in the scripture. It's not just something that we do at 10 till 1130 on Sunday in a place. No, we worship 24-7 every day. Every hour of the day. It incorporates all of life. So the Apostle Paul could say something that really sounds kind of strange and weird in 1 Corinthians 10. He said, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Because you're to be for the glory of God. And I want you to take the most mundane things that you can do in your life, like eating and drinking, and do that for the glory of God. Well, I do it. I do it. 
I love to eat. God is so good. He's given, he's given us so much wonderful good thing. We had a prime rib of beef last Sunday with our family there. You should have seen that baby come out of the oven. And I said, hallelujah. God is so good. This is so tasty. Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he amazing? How good he is to us. Thank you, Lord. My eating and drinking in every aspect of your life. Dress to the glory of God. Work to the glory of God. Your entertainment should be for the glory of God. Your hobbies and your sports, your sex life, your relationships, everything you, should, everything you do 24-7 is to the glory of God. And that means that I do it in a way that God would want me to do it. And I do it for Him, to hit, for His honor and glory. And I'm grateful. And, and so we have this incredible opportunity to live all of our life to please God. And you know what? Some of you are going, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I could do that. Like, ooh, that's heavy. Yeah, but, but it's the greatest thing. And there's the greatest satisfaction that you can receive. Worshiping God in everything you do in your life. And so we want to take and... And explore this and delve in deeper to this over the the coming weeks. And understand more and more what God means when he says that. That we would do everything. That we would live a, a lifestyle of worship. That it's who we are. It's what we do. It's, it's, it's 24-7. And in our interaction with each other. We say, well... What would glorify God as I interact with you? If you've got a need or a problem, what would God want me to do? How, how do I show his goodness? How do I show his glory? And, and, and how, do I, how do I respond at work when, when I'm passed over for a, a promotion? When somebody else got a raise and I didn't get a raise? How do, how do I respond to that? What, what would God want me to do? What is the word of God? How does it touch on these things? And, and I begin to live my life in such a way that, that God is great. And God is seen in all I do. And I find the greatest joy and the thrill in that. And you say, I, I don't know how you get there. Well, just work with us as we talk about this over the coming days. I, I want to I invite the servers to come up to the table at this time, please. Because what we're going to do is we're going to celebrate communion. And communion is an opportunity for us to be in, a, in an experience of worship where we're called to remember. We're called to to go back in our minds and, and, and to go back to Calvary, which we did just over a week ago on Good Friday. And, and we, we relived what Jesus did for us. Hey, do you, do you treasure that? Do you prize that? Because he knows how forgetful we are. So he said, I want you to come back time and time again. And I want you to go through this ritual. I want you to take this bread, because that bread is my body. See, he said, he said that we should give our bodies to him. He gave his body for us. 
He gave his body to be tortured and hung upon a cross to die for us in our place. Can you go a week and not think about what Jesus did on the cross for you? Hey, it can happen. Two weeks, three weeks, and then we come to communion. It was, oh, what he's done for me. Oh, the goodness of God, the grace of Jesus. And, and so we come back to this table, and, and, we, and we take that bread. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And we take that cup. This is my blood of the new covenant was shed for you to inaugurate a new covenant. Have you remembered that? Have you worshipped me? Have you thanked me? Do you live a life of gratitude that says, I I just want to live my life to do anything I can to make him great in my life and in this world? See, that's worship we're called to. And not only that, we're reminded when we sit at this table of what he did for us. And when we stood in that tank of water and we confessed our faith in Jesus Christ, that we would walk faithfully before him and we come to this table and we remember what he's done for us. And we remember that confession we made that I will follow you all the rest of my life. You are my God. You are my king. And... uh, Some of us are saying, you know what? It's been slipping a little bit. Then we come to worship, and we come to savor Christ, who comes to fellowship with us at this table, who invites us to join him around this table. And and so we're going to do that. And if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, in in just a moment, we're going to invite you to come forward and... uh, Uh, to receive the emblems and take them back to your seat and we'll all eat and drink together. Um, Maybe you're not yet a believer and maybe you say, you know what? I need to be there. I I really feel this tug in my heart that maybe you'd open your heart and say, thank you for what you did for me on the cross and I acknowledge my sin and my need of you and I put my faith and my trust in what Jesus did for me. If you do that, then, then would you come up and Take it with us. And this would be the first step after opening your heart to his grace and his goodness. He is such a wonderful God. And he invites us to worship him at this table. Father, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Lord, how can we ever begin to say thanks for all that you've done for us? So, Father, help us as we think about you and cherish you, as we honor you in in this act of worship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.